Football is back, and Domino's Hawaii couldn't be more excited. Our community has been through a lot this year, and so to show our appreciation for all your efforts and sacrifice, we'd like to do our part in helping you enjoy the games by offering large specialty pizzas for $15.99 and our new buffalo wings for $5.99. Just log on to the Domino's Hawaii website or app, and remember, while you watch your favorite team, you can be assured that our team continues to make your health and safety a top priority. What's up, Jordan? We're back at it again for the podcast. Let's warm things up, our little pregame topic. This is kind of bad news, actually. Surfer Magazine, which has been a staple for decades, covering the sport of surfing with some of the greatest pictures and illustrations you'll ever see, is shutting down operations, at least temporarily, seemingly another victim of the toll being taken in the advertising world amid the pandemic. They're not the first, probably not the last publication that's going to be making these kinds of announcements. It's a big time bummer. But it got me thinking, what were or are your top three sports magazines? Whether you want to harken back to when you were a kid, uh, I'm not sure if you're even too young to even know what a magazine is. Don't make me have to explain that and what a phone book is to you. But what would be your top three, Jordan? Oh, no, no, I, I, I know magazines. <laughs> like, I, I enjoyed Sports Illustrated for kids. Like that was my go-to back in the day. Oh, uh, yeah. So yeah, my top three, I, I really like SI. I, I really liked Sports Illustrated, even the, you know, for adults version. I always seemed to like SI more than ESPN, the magazine. I know a lot of people were really into ESPN, the magazine, but I, I just like Sports Illustrated better. Uh, you can never go wrong with like a slam, an issue of slam. Like, you know, you're, you're, you're in the airport or something. You go down the border. It's like, let me get it. Let me get an issue of slam and see what's going on in the hoops world. Um, you know, as a kid growing up. And then I, I, I don't know if this counts, but I'm going to throw it in there it, it, because it's the, it only comes out basically once a year, but the Phil, Phil Steele <laughs> college football preview, like that, that is just the greatest thing that's ever put out every year. And I know it's just kind of a, an annual, if you will. Um, but his, his stuff is just, I still get it. It's terrific. I thought you were going to say the Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition specifically was uh, maybe your uh, favorite, but no, uh, another another annual that is also uh, <laughs> that's top where, quality. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, I was I was just thinking that was a possibility. Um, it's funny because uh, people ask all the time, like, "Oh, how much do you sort of script the podcast?" You know, we have like the topics and the ideas laid out, uh, but we don't discuss our takes per se. Uh, and so that explains this because the three <laughs> that I put, Sports Illustrated. Slam magazine. I've hey. always been a huge fan of Slam. Uh, it's just it's just so much fun. And the Phil Steele College Football Preview every year is a must read. How's the chemistry right here? Yeah, I know this isn't great. Embrace debate. Apparently, not really, <laughs> not really to start the show. This is not a winning formula. Not a winning <laughs> recipe here for a popular podcast when you just agree on everything. Uh, we do want to welcome everybody to the show, though. This is episode number forty-two. And I think we're all in agreement that the most famous jersey number 42 was worn by the great Jackie Robinson. And that's kind of fitting because our guest here on the show is Travis Chalk. He's a Hawaii guy, grew up in Makiki, graduated from Punahou, and he is the co-founder and CEO of a baseball lifestyle brand called Baseballism. This thing is huge. And for those who maybe haven't heard about it, or aren't that familiar with it, uh, once you are familiar with it, you'll realize uh, just how expansive this business has become. 
They have nearly 40 locations across the country, many located adjacent to major league ballparks. Uh, and it's funny because I came across baseballism by chance when I went to San Francisco, took my dad up there to watch a couple of ball games. And right across the street from Oracle Park, there was this store on the corner called Baseballism. I walked inside. It was fantastic. They had shirts. They had hats. They had hoodies, jackets, wallets, socks, like you name it. They had the accessory and they had some pretty cool sort of baseball logo graphic or tie-in. I bought a couple of shirts, uh, got the Harry Doyle, you know, the Bob Euchre character in Major League, got the Harry Doyle one that says just a bit outside. I still rock that thing. It was really cool. And I thought, wow, what a great idea. What a great store. And then it wasn't until months later, I found out that uh, one of the guys behind it and the guy who actually runs it is the CEO is a Hawaii guy, Travis Chalk. So we're going to talk to him a little bit later on about that idea, the success that they have realized, and, and also how they've been impacted with the conditions under this COVID pandemic. Yeah, so we'll get into that here in a little bit. But first, it's game time. And the Lakers take a 3-1 lead in the NBA Finals over the Miami Heat. They took game four in what was a competitive ball game. Uh, but the question is very obvious, very clear. You're starting to hear more and more about it as the Lakers are closing in on this thing. Obviously, these circumstances for this NBA season and specifically the NBA playoffs, unlike any other, playing inside the bubble in Orlando. So I ask you, Jordan Helley, should there be an asterisk in the record books next to this year's NBA champion? There should be a note, a notation. I, I'm always a proponent of not necessarily just falling back on the asterisk because it has become such a negative connotation, especially when it comes to baseball, right? We're talking, we need asterisk next to Barry Bonds' home run records and Roger Clemens' playoff accomplishments and, and anything to do with steroids. And so the asterisk has been soiled. Uh, it, is, it is not what it is intended to do necessarily and just notate Right, so put a put a pound sign or a hashtag as, as the uh, the Twitterverse will use some something. Right, it, it should say something because it was a season like on any other. It was completely unique. Right, home court was completely thrown out. They were sequestered in this bubble for months on end in Orlando, and I think it does need to be notated. But that doesn't necessarily mean it was easier. Like I, I don't necessarily mean, or I don't necessarily think that it was a simpler path for, say, the Lakers should they complete this win to the title. I think in a lot of ways it was more difficult. Uh, you know, their home, they were the best team, especially for a team that had the best record in the Western Conference that had home court advantage. That was wiped off. You could argue that it was more advantageous for a lower-seeded team like the Miami Heat, who finished fifth in the Eastern Conference. But, yeah, it should be notated, right? They didn't play this thing at Staples Center and then fly across the country and, and play – in Miami as well. So there should be a notation. It doesn't necessarily have to be an asterisk. Use an ampersand, whatever. Put something there. You don't have to put an asterisk. Though. Yeah, you don't want to use the same symbol as the asterisk, which we're putting uh, next to the Houston Astros and all of their World Series successes. Uh, no, yeah, I, I think that it's important to distinguish this season as being unique. I don't think, because you're right, the negative connotation of the asterisk would imply that this was an easier season. You heard a lot of people talk about the Spurs championship against the Knicks in 99 because that was the labor-shortened season. And so people said, oh, put an asterisk because they didn't have to play the full 82-game slate and it was just an easier run. And so, yeah, the implication of the asterisk is that achievement is lessened somehow. I, that's just how we tend to associate the asterisk as a symbol. And I would argue that this setup here in the bubble uh, could actually mean that this was a harder run 
to the championship because there were no crowds, there was no travel. And so for a team like the Miami Heat, you have all these young guys, right? Guys who are inexperienced, guys who aren't even 21 years old. And they're balling out in the bubble because they don't necessarily have to put up with the hostility of a road crowd in playoffs when it is the most heated and feverish environment or have to deal with making sure they maintain their legs after a long cross-continent flight uh, to try to get to the road games of a specific playoff series. And so you could argue that it is more difficult because the playing field, in essence, is leveled uh, and you don't have some of the advantages that you would normally have if you were a higher seed with home court advantage. I know people will point to, hey, the Lakers, they avoided the Clippers and the Heat are banged up because they don't have Goran Dragic and Bam Adebayo just got back for game four, but that's not the Lakers' fault. It's not the Lakers' fault that Kawhi Leonard and the Clippers blew that series in a 3-1 lead. Uh, And so I don't think that that can necessarily come into the equation when you talk about whether or not to apply an asterisk either. So uh, I agree with you. Notate it somehow, you know, point it out. Maybe just put in parentheses the word bubble, and then let's just move on and crown whoever the champion is. All right, we move on to a little bit of college football here at home. Cordero's the guy as the University of Hawaii football team continues preparations for the upcoming football season. Head coach Todd Graham made it a point at the beginning of camp to publicly announce that Chevin Cordero was the team's starter going into the season. He was a part-time starter in each of the last couple of years. Jordan playing either in place of Cole McDonald, subbing in for him when things weren't going well, or playing for Cole McDonald when he was injured. So with that experience, nobody is surprised that Chevin Cordero is the starter. That was the expectation. But why do you think Todd Graham so explicitly made it a point to publicly state that and give that kind of public vote of confidence to Chevin? And what do you think the impact of that may be? First off, the impact, uh, I think it's a, it's a big one, right? There, there is a certain level of comfort that comes with knowing, one, from, from a quarterback standpoint, just knowing it's your job, right? It, it takes a little bit of the pressure off. It, it, quarterbacks can be a little fickle sometimes, but I, I do think there is a lot of value to telling your guy that he's your guy. Uh, It just empowers him. It allows him to play with confidence. uh, And I think that's a big deal in a season like this. And and I think that's part of the reason why Coach Graham went out and and made that public declaration. Um, So Cordero knows it. So the team knows it. So the public knows it. Everybody knows it. He's our guy. Uh, And I think especially in a season where it's been chaotic, for sure, right? They've had the season canceled. They've had the season reinstated. They've had games canceled. They've had, you know, a, a, a practices canceled once the season got restarted. So, so everything is chaotic, right? And so you want as much stability as possible. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that's exactly what the point was, was, all right, let's try to steady the ship here amid all of these uncertainties about if and when we can practice positive tests, delays, suspensions of operations. Like it's just very difficult to conduct any form of business with that kind of stop and go and intermittent interruptions. Uh, But in this particular instance, he can at least settle the ship a little bit by saying, all right, Chevin Cordero is going to be our leader when we take the field in the first week. So I do think there's value there in just trying to establish uh, a little bit of 
solidarity, a little bit of stability within the program, especially amid these really, really crazy times. Not to mention, hey, look, there is going to be a tweak in this offense, right? They're going to be combining basically elements of the run and shoot, elements of what's known as the air raid. They're calling it the run and gun. And so there is a bit of a difference to it. And so with that change also in mind, I do think there's value there in saying, hey, look, we're going to make a few tweaks. We're going to make a few changes. But one thing that is certain, Chevin Cordero is our guy and he's our leader. He's the extension of the coach on the field. And I do think that that's valuable for any football team at any level. All right, moving elsewhere in college football, OU. Oh, for two, at least the last two weeks, the quest for a national title appears to be pow before it started for Oklahoma as they lost back-to-back games for the first time in 22 years, falling to Iowa State in Ames for the first time since 1960, 37-30, the final there. Also add to the upsets this past weekend, you had UCF getting upset by Tulsa, 34-26, effectively taking Dylan Gabriel and company out of any possible college football playoff talk. So with those two stumbles from nationally ranked teams, OU's not even in the nationally uh, national rankings anymore, neither is UCF. Uh, which team's exclusion from this whole equation in college football is more of a surprise here this early in the year? Oh, it's going to, well, you can almost say the whole Big 12, right? I, just so early on. And, and we're used to the Big 12 in a way cannibalizing itself. Uh, but usually they backload their schedule and that's when it all happens because they, you know, they, they usually schedule the easier conference games early on. They like the marquee matchups later for, for impression standpoints when it comes to the committee. But I mean, the highest ranked Big 12 team right now is Texas at number 22. Like that's behind 3-0 and Cincinnati and 4-0 and SMU, both ranked you know, between 11 and, and 20, basically. And Cincinnati's all the way up to 11. And so they become the UCF, right, I think, of the conversation. If they can run the table in the American, then they become a very interesting talking point. SMU maybe as well, uh, if the Mustangs find their way to the top of the American. But it's the Big 12 at this point. The Pac-12 and the Big 10 haven't played a single game yet. And they are smiling ear to ear, especially the Pac-12, who's only going to play seven games. But nobody is left unbeaten. In the Big 12, there's not a single undefeated team left in the Big 12 after Baylor's overtime loss last week as well. And so you can almost say that entire conference has eliminated itself. Now, if some other chaos and dominoes fall their way, they could find their way back in. But right now, I mean, they are a long way looking from the outside in. Yeah, I think that that is probably the biggest surprise just because the Big 12 got a jump on the Big Ten and the Pac-12 among the Power Five conferences to really kind of solidify consideration for the college football playoffs. So from that standpoint, it was a huge missed opportunity. I think you can also describe what UCF's loss meant as a major missed opportunity as well. Yeah, I think the Big 12 is looking like a conference that's going to be on the outside looking in, which would have theoretically opened the door for a team like UCF, which was just outside of the top 10, to say, hey, look, Look at us. Don't make this mistake again like the year we went undefeated and you left us out and then we knocked off Auburn on a New Year's Day bowl. They could have stated their claim and made a very valid case. That is now out the window. Uh, and you're right, the Pac-12 uh, couldn't be happier. But look at what we're going to end up with. I mean, let's just be honest, right? In this year of calamity, in this year of, of disjointedness in college football, in the college football playoff, it's going to be Bama. It's going to be Georgia. It's probably going to be Clemson, unless maybe Miami has something to say about that. And then it's probably going to be Ohio State. 
And so we're just going to, at the end of the day, after everything, all the effort and all the endeavoring to just get some form of college football out there on the field, the college football playoff will be probably the same four teams that we would probably have in any other year. It's just going to work out that way. And the Big 12 kind of shooting itself in the foot ahead of the game once again. Yeah, and those conferences are, are going to be smiling ear to ear because we all know everybody could use the money at this point, right? Exactly right. All right, let's move on to the pros. NFL week four, you got more positive tests here coming out today being reported within the Tennessee Titans organization. This is just days after their showdown with the Steelers was postponed. The Patriots had to play without Cam Newton this past week because of a positive test. And now we get word that defensive back Stephon Gilmore just tested positive. He played in that game against the Chiefs and was hugging Patrick Mahomes and others after the game. I mean, this thing is just getting messier and messier. What does the NFL do about this? Do they consider perhaps putting a halt on the season temporarily do they consider adding weeks at the end of the initial schedule because of something like that do they start considering the forfeiture of games do they start considering fining players maybe for positive tests which would be kind of weird but what do you think is the most appropriate action that the NFL can take because I think the concern here is a team is better off having a full-blown outbreak like the Tennessee Titans, and hopefully they can clean this situation up, then a team that has just a singular player who tests positive, like the Patriots, right? The Titans had an outbreak. They get their game postponed. They would, for all intents and purposes, be full power when that game is made up, and it was going to be against another unbeaten team in the Pittsburgh Steelers, whereas the Patriots had to go up against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs without Cam Newton and starting Brian Hoyer, who we are all once again reminded still has a job in the NFL and Colin Kaepernick does not, but that's neither here nor there. You're setting up a system where you're better off having an outbreak in your team or program than just having a single player test positive because you still have to go forward and play that game. That, that's kind of crazy to me. So what's the answer? Yeah, I, I think, you know, and, and it, this still seems very much like a snowball that is continuing to build, right? We, we get some of the news coming out today, as you mentioned, with Stefan Gilmore. Uh, you know, the Raiders have gotten some pretty big fines for attending like a fundraiser function where their masks are off. And, and so it's like, you know, you're trying to do good, but you got to be smart. And then, and then reports today that some members of the Tennessee Titans, after the facilities were closed and they were locked out, went to a local private high school and and held workouts even though they weren't supposed to do that and you understand okay yeah they're trying to keep up and make sure they are ready to go when time is called but you just can't do that right when you've got an outbreak on your team like you can't have organized activities and you think back to the baseball season when when these things happened early on right I mean teams were sequestered in hotels and guys were like throwing in the mattresses just to stay safe you know and 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 also keep up and make sure they were in shape as best they could on the football side you know you got guys holding organized activities even though they're kind of technically not allowed in this situation and you don't have the luxury of what baseball did right the marlins who played 60 something guys or something right they were they were shuttling dudes from that alternate site all season long like i don't think you can do that in the nfl right that's not really a viable option uh and, and so unless you're going to start penalizing teams by literally having them forfeit games, you got to start looking at adding on to the end of the schedule. And I know that the NFL had sort of built that in from the beginning, right? Hey, if you've got to wipe out week five, that becomes now week 18 on the back end. But that's if everybody has to take a break, right? Not just say the Titans and Steelers, like we saw in week four, 
So it, it, I think it's still very messy, and I think I'll still think this thing is teetering on the rails. Yeah, I think they just have to consider perhaps a delay just to let teams sort of catch up. But, you know, they're not playing in a bubble. And so the chances mm-hmm. of this continuing, regardless of when, especially when we're heading back into the wintertime where they're saying that there's a likelihood that we see once again an uptick in this pandemic and the amount of, of people that test positive, uh, that's that's disheartening. And, and I think that's very discouraging from the NFL's standpoint. You're right. Uh, it kind of feels like you're in a boat and there's just like a little leak here and the NFL is trying to cover it up with one hand. And then there's another leak here and they're trying to cover it up with that hand. And, you know, pretty soon you have enough holes in the boat and it's like a full on breach. And so that's what the NFL has to try to avoid. I'm just not sure if there's even a possibility of fully guaranteeing that you can avoid it when you're not playing in a bubble scenario. I think the NBA proved that that is uh, among other leagues, the appropriate methodology here amid these circumstances all right outside of COVID news because it just it's so exhausting to keep talking about that stuff but what about week four action in the NFL stood out to you most yeah for negative reasons but the the Dallas Cowboys are even more of a mess than I than I thought they made the Cleveland Browns look really good this past weekend and and it is full-on panic mode down there in Dallas and and there was obviously some some of the positive things right like the Chiefs, who didn't really play all that well, but still won by double-digit points. You know, you can talk about Aaron Rodgers, who I think is continuously reminding us and taking very much uh, enjoyment in reminding everybody how good he still is <laughs> uh, and, and and absolutely doing it with a smirk on his face. But the Cowboys, what is going on? Like, people were talking about it as being one of the most talented rosters in the league, like they should be in the playoffs. That I mean, they may need seven wins to win that division. It's looking like this season. It's just that bad in the NFC East, but... They made the Cleveland Browns look amazing. Baker Mayfield was awesome in that game. Uh, Not many teams are capable of doing that, of making the Browns look that good. Uh, But here are your Dallas Cowboys in 2020. They are a mess. Yeah, they don't look like there's much of a difference. That There's a discernible change in the culture there with the coaching regime change. And you're right, it's never a good sign when a guy who hasn't been in the league for like five years is probably your best defensive player in Alden Smith. Uh, but even he didn't play too admirably uh, in that last game, that's for sure. I think my standout story is Bill O'Brien getting let go by the Houston Texans. That was fairly predictable. He's both the GM and the coach, and I think his GMing and the decisions that he made in that role probably did Bill O'Brien, the coach, in more than anything else, right? I mean, deciding to trade away DeAndre Hopkins uh, was just such a bad idea, especially the way he's playing now in Arizona. And and clearly that is something that is missing from this offense is a legitimate uh, number one target for Deshaun Watson. So you're wasting this opportunity with this young quarterback who you just gave a huge ton of money to to be your franchise guy. And it's just everything was very incongruent uh, and, and, and the moves didn't match maybe the motivation. Uh, and so Bill O'Brien had to go. I think that was a, a huge story. It's just always a surprise when you see a head coach get let go so early in the season. All right, with that, we want to get to our Domino's Hawaii main topping, and that is our discussion with Travis Chalk. He is the co-founder and CEO of Baseballism, a baseball lifestyle brand. Uh, We talked to him from his new place in Huntington Beach. Let's go ahead and play that interview right now. Hey, what's up, Travis? How you doing, man? Thanks for joining. Oh, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm hanging in there, just uh, staying alive like everybody else. (laughs) Yeah, just uh, one day at a time, that's for sure. What a a strange time we're living in, and it reminds me because – it feels like it was eight years ago, but it was actually just two summers ago. I took my dad up to San Francisco to watch a couple of ball games, 
and we stayed at a hotel that was right across the street from Oracle Park. Yep, yep. And right on the corner was this uh, attire store, this this baseball lifestyle clothing store uh, called Baseballism. I walked inside. I was like, wow, this place is pretty mm. cool. I bought a couple of shirts, one of them being the Harry Doyle just a bit outside yep, yep, Major League yep. shirt, uh, which I still wear uh, and rock on a very frequent basis. Uh, and then I come to find out months later that that's your place, that, that it is run uh, by and was co-founded by uh, a Hawaii guy. So uh, that was really, yeah. really cool. And I've been wanting to reach out to you for a while. Yeah, man. So uh, basically, I, I grew up in Makiki, went to Punahou <laughs> School, um, was a 2001 grad. It's kind of a long story. Do you want me to start there? Just the crazy baseballism story I got for you? Go for it. Okay. Yeah. So basically, uh, went to Punahou. Um, my mom kicked me off the island. She said, you can't, you can't go to school at the University of Hawaii. I wanted to go to the University of Hawaii because I was a big Hawaii fan, but um, she kicked me off the island. So I got into the University of Oregon, um, played baseball there, played club baseball there. And uh, my teammates and I started a baseball camp in college called Baseballism. I bought the domain, not knowing what I was going to do with it. Domains are hard to find now, like especially good domains. You type in anything, it's already taken now. But back then, Baseballism wasn't taken. So I bought Baseballism, not knowing what I was going to do with it. And so I ran a couple um, private lesson, like I, I ran private lessons, like, I don't, you know, just, I met people at parks and ran private lessons, called that baseballism. Then we started a baseball camp during the summer and called it baseballism. And so we ran the camp for two years from 2006 to 2008. And uh, it's just my, my college friends and I, and um, people love the camp shirts. Um, like mm -hmm. we just had the word baseballism across the shirt. And it had a drop bat logo and people loved the shirts. And so like we graduated eventually, um, we all went our separate ways, but everywhere we, we went, people would say, where'd you get that shirt? Where'd you get that camp t-shirt? And so we had to tell them what, what the camp was about. And eventually I was, I was, uh, I was an education major. So I was teaching at a community college at the time and I was doing private lessons and I was a head baseball coach in Portland. And um, I was like, guys, I think we got something here because everyone's asking where to get the shirt. I'm going to try to sell these shirts out of the baseball academy I'm giving private lessons out of. And so made a run of 48 shirts and they sold it in a couple of weeks. Uh, we launched a website in 2013. And so basically long story short, from 2013 till now, we've opened 11 stores. We've sold $70 million worth of t-shirts, which is just absurd. Uh, we started out in my garage. Um, I, had, I had like, I took out a credit card, you know, to pay off our first video. <laughs> So we started with no money, like just the American dream kind of story. So basically some, just from rags to riches in, in seven years. But COVID's kind of, you know, put us back down to earth. But we're still, we're still doing pretty well. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously the, the next uh, logical question is uh, you go from the American dream story to a bit of the American nightmare story that a lot of people yeah. are realizing, especially when you're in the retail industry. How have you adjusted and, and how has this thing impacted your business overall? Oh man, it was, I mean, it was a nightmare. Like you said, like the first couple of months, it was really tough because, you know, our business is heavily based around the major league baseball season. So we have a store in Arizona for spring training and when baseball season goes, we go. So we buy all this inventory um, for spring training. We buy all this inventory to go into the season. And then March 12th, that's D-Day for me, March 12th, man. Uh, the spring training gets canceled and the season gets postponed. And basically it's like, what I tell people is like, it's like, walking down the street and then Mike Tyson coming up to you and punching you in the stomach and you didn't even know where it came from. Man. It's just like, holy heck. And so like, it was just like, I don't even remember March or April. It was just a grind. I'm just trying to figure out 
Like, what are we going to do to make this work? What are we going to do with all this inventory? And so just little by little, you know, we kept creative. We kept figuring things out. We moved all our inventory online. Uh, we got behind our customers and we tell them we want to be safe. Don't come to our stores. We'll, we'll do every, all the free shipping. You know, we'll, we'll give you the, the customer experience online as if you came into the store. And they really got on board and they helped us out. And um, yeah, we're, we're back to normal now pretty much. We're, we're, we're going to break even this year, which is like a dream come true. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can imagine. I mean, the baseballism.com website is terrific. Uh, you know, I spent some time on there and, and got some orders ready to roll. Uh, was there kind of a moment, Travis, you know, at, at some point as this thing is developing where you felt like, okay, we've, we've sort of hit it or we've, we've sort of made it? Was it? Is it getting into those storefronts? Is it, you know, getting somebody of note to wear your shirt? Uh, you know, pregame during batting practice or something like that. But was there a moment uh, that, that that you kind of look back and it's like, oh, okay, that was maybe the turning point or, or the moment that you felt like you'd kind of made it? Yeah. So in our first year in 2013, we had like, the good thing about us is we had a pretty significant social media following before we made our first t-shirt. Um, I had just, I just knew that we needed customers before we made products. And so I would get on social media and, you know, I would hit up, you know, Tim Kirkjian and you know Peter Gammons and those baseball guys and say if you like this retweet us and I you know I must have hit up you know thousands of people and I built up a, a decent following so I think when we started we had ten thousand followers on Facebook seven thousand followers on Twitter so we had a decent following enough to you know launch a brand but one thing one quote so we do a lot of quotes on our website basically that are baseball inspired because I was a baseball coach like kind of motivational quotes and one quote we had was uh, uh, the name on the front of the jersey represents who you play for. The name on the back of the jersey represents who raised you. Do them both justice. And so we put that on a quote. We sent it out on, on social. And it got shared like 15,000 times. Um, it got like 10,000 likes. So someone of note must have shared it or something. And that kind of just catapulted us. People would go on our website. They'd buy our shirts. And then we just kind of snowballed from there. We made another shirt that just said 6 plus 4 plus 3 equals 2. And if you're not a baseball person, you don't, you have no clue what that means. Right. So it's like, it like confused people online and the people that got it shared it. And it just became kind of a viral shirt. It's like the pride of baseball on a shirt, like without if, like a secret code that no one knows except for baseball people. So that kind of catapulted us too. So those are, those were two big moments for us. It's so funny how that works, right? You sort of, you got to be in on the joke or you got to have a little inside knowledge. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you seem like you had this thing, you know, at least sort of the, the groundwork, the marketing groundwork, if you will. And you, you mentioned, you, you know, your background's in education. Uh, where, yep. where does sort of the business acumen come from? Man, I was just, it was just kind of guess and check, you know, it's just like, I, I wasn't making the amount of money that I thought I deserved to be making when I was a teacher. You know, I was like, man, I know I'm, I'm better than this. I can, I can make a little bit more. Nothing to take away from teachers, but I mean, like, I just felt like I deserved more in life and I wanted more in life. So I started the side business of, you know, baseball as a model of a garage. But I mean, like, I just taught myself everything. I went on YouTube. I learned how to graphic design. And then, like I said, we didn't start with any money. So um, I, I just taught myself how to do everything, I, you know, social media, um, like just how to print orders and, you know, all that kind of stuff, all, all that goes into it that you don't really think about. Um, it came with that. But also I have really good business partners. My three business partners are all baseball players too. They played with me in college. And um, I kind of chose them because they all had different skill sets. You know, one guy was a finance manager at Oregon Health Science University. And um, I had another sales guy who was in the sports field. And then uh, my third business partner was a, 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 what do you call, a military lawyer. So he was a JAG lawyer for the last 10 years. 
And so I kind of got three facets covered that I knew that I would either have to go back to school to figure it out or I would just have to find somebody. So that's how it kind of worked. So I had good partners and I was willing to teach myself things that I didn't know how to do. I'm talking with Travis Chalk. He's the co-founder, CEO of Baseballism, a baseball lifestyle brand. And I think, you know, you get into the design aspect of either your shirts or some of the other products and accessories. And there is that very sort of deep kind of baseball passion that seems to come out in almost all of the designs, whether it's a reference to like Harry Doyle, like I mentioned earlier of major league, yeah. like that's, that's an explicit sort of baseball guy type of movie. Um, and, and you mentioned even the, the double play shirt and, and the arithmetic there. Uh, what do you start off with? Where, where do you sort of come from when you start to think through a design uh, or a different kind of, of illustration? Yeah, for us, we, we definitely know who our audience is. You know, I come from a coaching background, like I said, playing background. And I just, I just know what the people go through because I've, I've done it from every aspect, right? From every angle I've coached. Well, I haven't been a parent yet and have a kid, but I mean, I've dealt with a lot of parents. Hmm. But I coached and I played at a pretty high level. So, I mean, I know where everyone's coming from. And so I kind of think about what would I, what would I relate to if, if something was put on a shirt? And we kind of start from there. What, what do moms relate to? What do dads relate to? And, and kind of going with that 6432 thing is what do those insider people know that other people don't know? Is how can we make it more an insider thing and people that love the game? But it also go back to, goes back to Hawaii too because, you know, I grew up in Hawaii and I don't have a favorite team. A lot of times when you associate yourself with baseball brands, you think Dodgers, Phillies, Padres, whatever it is. I don't really associate myself with teams. I just love playing the game. You know, like I've stuck with the game so long and I really had no team to cheer for except for the Bows. But I mean, like, yeah, I mean, that's, that's about it. So I really know who our customer is and I really try to, you know, make things that they can appreciate that are not exactly team focused. Yeah, it's, it, that's a perfect segue because uh, yeah. you just actually came out with a line of University of Hawaii shirts and masks. Um, and, and this is something that has immediately gotten some run and, and some popularity, certainly oh, here in the yeah. islands. What's been the reaction to that? And how did you sort of uh, decide, you know, I, I think I want to explore this side of baseballism a little bit and, and, and uh, call it back to the islands. Yeah, man. I mean, like, first off, I mean, it's crushing. And Hawaii people are different than any other people. I mean, like the pride we have in Hawaii for where we're from and how we take care of each other is just, it's different than anywhere else. I mean, I lived in Portland for 10 years. And if you, let's say you, you go to Canada or something like that and you run into someone from Portland and you say, oh, we're from Portland. I was like, oh, it's cool. You're from Portland. If you're from Hawaii and you meet someone from Hawaii and you're like in, let's say you're on the East Coast, you meet someone, you're like, it's like that person is like, you're taking care of that person. Like, give me your phone number. If you need anything, let me know, you know, and it's different. Um, in Hawaii than everywhere else and so we released that just because pretty much I'm from Hawaii and I just really love Hawaii sports and uh, man it's 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 destroying and I, and I, I pretty much put on shirts and hoodies and hats like what what my favorite logo was in Hawaii but I mean like I like the, the old school rainbow stuff and I like the warrior so I kind of go back to that but we're gonna roll out more stuff as it goes. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I, I clearly there's a value to not just the, the callback to the islands, but the throwback to the logo. And, you know, like yeah. I mentioned, it's shirts, it's hoodies, it's, it's masks. And um, yeah, that, that specific logo seems to still resonate here with a lot of the people back in Hawaii. And it resonates everywhere, too, though. I mean, like, I look at a lot of our orders that are coming in and like that old school University of Hawaii Rainbow, it's kind of a retro like it's a legendary logo that everyone kind of knows, even though they're not from Hawaii. So like 
people appreciate that old school logo. I mean, like we got rid of it because we, you know, we wanted to be a little bit tougher, but I mean, it's, you gotta be pretty tough to be wearing a rainbow on your shirt and walking around. So I like that too. Yeah. I, I, I love it too. And, and I just think in a lot of ways that logo is associated with the baseball team, you know, yeah. like, like yeah. the colors sort of that, that throwback, they were so good for so long, but I, I, is, was that, was that a connection that, that you guys kind of saw as well? Yeah, I mean, I love the old school um, baseball, like the green and the orange. We're gonna bring back that too, because I went to all those youth baseball camps. But it's just kind of like you know, my, my age, my age. You know, I, I grew up watching Hawaii sports when I was in in the <laughs> '90s. You know, in the the late '80s. So it's just like that's what I grew up, and that's that's what I'm attached to. I mean, like, I mean, like, I wouldn't mind if the logo was still the same as it is as it was <laughs> back then, right now. So I yeah. mean, like, that's that's kind of what it is. It's just just what I grew up with. Yeah, for sure. Uh, speaking of nostalgia, you guys have a, a little line with the Field of Dreams. Yeah, uh, yeah. That, that I thought, and, and I, I actually hadn't realized that uh, just to kind of, I revisited the website here in the last couple of days. But, uh, you know, how, how cool was that? And, and what, uh, where'd that sort of come from, too? Oh, that's, a, that's kind of a wild story. So um, basically, the former GM for the Dodgers, his name was uh, Dan, his name is Dan Evans, and he um, he drafted Clayton Kershaw. He was he was there, I think, uh, in the early two thousands, late nineties. But um, yeah, so he is a big fan of ours. I mean, he just followed us on Twitter, and um, one day he just walked into our headquarters in Portland. He's like, "I'm I'm visiting here with my girlfriend. I just wanted to come by and say I love what you guys do." So I you know I just kind of talked to him for a couple hours, really, in our in our headquarters, and just told him about what we did. And then fast forward maybe five or six years down the road, I get a call from Dan. He's like, hey, um, I'm taking over operations at the Field of Dreams. Um, do you guys want to build a store here? And I'm like, yeah, we want to build a store there. <laughs> you know, he's like, yeah. and Because so, right now, the field, before we took over the retail operations there, um, they just had like a ticket booth. It was like literally like a, like a Dutch Brothers coffee style stand that just – that sold their memorabilia out of. And uh, you couldn't even touch the shirts or any of the memorabilia before you bought it. You just had to point and say, hey, I want that, I want that. And so I was just, I was like, man, this is just untapped potential. So we um, we got the licensing for the Field of Dreams. We built a 3,000 square foot barn right behind the backstop of the Field of Dreams on the actual movie site. And um, yeah, man, it's crank. It's our most profitable store this year, just because of where it is. You know, it's in the middle of nowhere. And if you haven't gone to the Field of Dreams and you're a baseball fan, you got to go because it is like, it's kind of bizarre. It's just like, if you don't have Google Maps, you're not going to find it. <laughs> it's just in the middle of nowhere. But um, you get there and you get on that field and there's usually like 50 to 100 people there and they all know baseball and they all know what it's about. And so you like, I was throwing BP to a 10-year-old kid and then his mm-hmm. dad was throwing BP to me and then all everyone else is shagging in the outfield and we're all waiting in line to hit. And so like just everyone knows the un, unspoken language of baseball. And so it's just, it's just a great place to go. No, I, I think speaking of great places, I think that's been another indication of your business's success is the locations of some of these storefronts, right? I mean, I mentioned right across the street from Oracle park, I believe you're next to several other uh, major league yep. ballparks as well. Uh, Fields of dreams. I mean, that's just remarkable. Is there a challenge in sustaining those locations through this COVID pandemic? What, what's sort of projected for some of those locations here as we get further along in this thing? It is man. And so, I mean, the big thing for us is, I mean, because there are no fans in the stands, I mean, that's a big part of our revenue. And that's what's really hurting us on the retail side. Like stores like that are in Arizona, away from stadiums in Irvine, California, they're away from stadiums. They're doing okay. 
but uh, the stores that are, you know, behind the Green Monster in Fenway, uh, the one that's across from Oracle Park in San Francisco, those are hurting pretty bad just because, you know, we're so dependent on having, you know, 20, 30,000 fans in the seats every single game. And so that's what we're losing on every, every, basically every home game that the Giants or the Red Sox have. So that's challenging, man. Those are expensive stores. I mean, they're great locations, but luckily we have good landlords that kind of understand what's going on and they get it. You know, they want good tenants for the long haul and if they can help us through, you know, the next six months or so. Um, they know they'll have a good tenant on their hands. So it's a back and forth with our landlord, but I mean, um, I think we'll be in good shape coming up in 2021 if, if things uh, kind of get back to normal. Talking with Travis Chalk, co-founder and CEO of Baseballism. You have recently moved from Portland to California, right? But the yep. headquarters of Baseballism remains in Portland? Yep. We have our warehouse and our headquarters in Portland, and my three other business partners are there kind of holding down the holding down the fort. Um, yeah, I just I decided to get out of Portland because, I, like I said, I'm a Hawaii boy, and the weather <laughs> in Oregon is, I mean, it's a monster. You know, for any, any – uh, high school kid that's listening to this and they're thinking about going to Oregon, like you got to take that into consideration. Can you, can you handle gray skies uh, for, for your whole, for a whole school year? Cause it, it starts getting gray when you get there and then it, it doesn't get sunny until you leave in June. So, I mean, it's, it's a tough thing. And so like, I've always wanted to get out of Oregon, but because of COVID and, you know, just everyone working from home, I kind of learned that I could, I could do this um, without having to be physically there. So I kind of took advantage of the opportunity to, to go somewhere sunny that's still in striking distance from Portland when I need to go back for, you know, important meetings or important sales like Black Friday and stuff like that to make sure things are all right. But um, yeah, I'm loving it down SoCal. Well, it's clear just through this venture, through, you know, your past experiences that you love the game of baseball. Do you miss the coaching aspect? How involved in just kind of getting out there and working with kids or, or doing whatever along those lines are you still? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I really miss coaching. I love the competitive nature of baseball and just getting out there and, and winning or losing a game every, you know, every weekend or whatever it is. What I don't miss though is the, is the time lost and the pay. Because I mean, <laughs> if you think about it, I mean like a high school coach, I mean, I got paid six grand for a baseball season. And if you break that down between, you know, like if you want to do any, if you want to be a good baseball coach, you got to do the off season training thing. You got to handle the youth that's coming up the pipeline. You got to handle all the emails with the parents. Um, practices for kids are from 345 to, to six, but for the coaches, it's like, you got to set up the field, get all the equipment, write the practice plan. So, I mean, like you're getting paid like $2 an hour, you know, it's like, it's horrible. So like, I mean, like I miss, I miss definitely miss the game and I miss, you know, having that competitive having competition you know and going out and competing but i just i just don't miss the time suck and just the you know the looking at the paycheck and be like man i did all this for this <laughs> so that's what i don't miss do you still get out and play at all i mean like you playing in adult leagues you're playing softball how, how do you stay active yeah man i mean i play i play slippery softball as as any guy my age does that used to play baseball golf a lot um I tried to do the men's league thing, but to me, like once you stop playing college and it's just not that competitive anymore, it's just kind of like, I mean, you show up to games like 10 minutes before the game, you try to warm up and you pull a hamstring. <laughs> it's just not, it's not what it used to be, man. I mean, like there are guys that really are really into it, but I, I can't play for it. You know, if there's no like, you know, there's not a meaningful reason for me to play. I mean, like my, my, my buddy, uh, my business partner, he just won the championship of his men's league and he's really happy about it. But I mean, like, come on, no one really cares. <laughs> I mean, let's be real. 
No, I, I hear you on that one. Uh, speaking of, of competitive baseball, are you locked into uh, the postseason going on right now in the bigs? I'm pretty locked in. Um, yeah. I mean, like a lot of our guys that where our stuff are playing right now. So um, I try to keep an eye as much as I can uh, what's going on in the MLB season. So, yeah, I've been watching it. Definitely a, a little biased towards uh, Justin Turner and the Dodgers and Dansby Swanson of the of the Braves because those guys wear our stuff a lot. So, yeah, I root, I root for players, really not teams. And so those are the, those are the two teams I'm watching pretty closely. Are those formal, like, endorsers of your stuff, or, or is it just organic and they just dig it so they wear it? No, man. I mean, that's the crazy thing about us is, like, we've had, like, a lot. We don't, we don't pay anybody to wear our stuff. Um, Justin Turner's, uh, now his wife, but his girlfriend at the time had bought him um, a birthday present, and it was just our bunch of our stuff, and we saw him wearing it on social, and we're like, wow, that's our stuff. How do you get it? So, we, you know, we found out her name, and we go back into our orders, and we say, okay she bought this stuff and then we're like, all right, we'll just send him the house. And so we just sent him a bunch of stuff. And then he started wearing it more on social. And, you know, he tagged us a few times and Danzy Swanson followed us on Twitter from way back in the day. So we, we sent him stuff too before, uh, right after he got drafted, uh, met his parents in Omaha uh, when he was playing for Vanderbilt. And so basically, I mean, we've just been lucky enough to where we're cool enough to where guys actually wear our stuff for no reason. I mean, for, you know, for free. And so, uh, once we see him wearing it, then we get on board and we're like, okay, now we'll give you stuff for free. And it's a really, it's a really effective way because we know they actually care about it. You know, we're not just sending Hail Mary packages. And so, um, yeah, we've been fortunate enough to have a lot of guys wear our stuff uh, without having to pay them. Yeah, that's pretty remarkable. I don't think it gets much uh, better than that because that's yeah. organic, that's legit. And, and you're right. I, th- I think that's, uh, it's a sign that your stuff actually is quality and resonates with the right people. Um, like we've had like guys like Wade Boggs and Tom Glavin and, you know, like the Hall of Famers when they wear our stuff, that means something. Cause it's just like, it kind of validates us. Like we're doing something right. Because you know, those, you know, those old baseball players, they're, they're very strict on like what they wear and how the game is perceived and you know, the unwritten rules. And so like when we have guys like Dansby Swanson wearing it, and then you have the Wade Boggs of the world and Tom Glavin's wearing it, that's, that really makes me feel good. Cause it means that we're, you know, really, we're, we're doing, attacking baseball the right way because we have the young people wearing it and we have the old people wearing it. All right. So, obviously, the, the hope now is, is just getting through this dang COVID pandemic thing, returning back to, to some form of, of normalcy, uh, hopefully fill those seats at the stadiums that are adjacent to your locations and just kind of get that kind of foot traffic going again. Uh, beyond that, when you start to think down the road and of the future and, and, and perhaps further expansion of the business, what are some of the things you're considering? What are now the maybe recalibrated hopes and dreams for baseballism? Yeah, I mean, a big thing for us is is just becoming a brand that everyone knows and not not necessarily just baseball people. We want we want our logo, our flagman logo to kind of be just associated with baseball. So if you see someone walking down the street, even if you're not a baseball person yourself and you see someone wearing our logo, um, you'll know that that person has an appreciation for the game or their life has been impacted by baseball in some way. So we want to become a household, a household brand and not just the household baseball, a baseball household brand. Um, another thing we want to do is, you know, we're, we've got MLB licensing on the horizon. Um, one of our goals was to make sure that our brand could hold up to an MLB license. Um, you see a lot of brands like um, 47 brand out there, Fanatics, they sell the, the licensed apparel, but really no one buys that apparel because it's Fanatics, because it's 47 brand. They're buying it because they're a Dodgers fan or they're a Hawaii fan or whatever team they follow. They're buying it for that logo and not necessarily the other way around. And so we wanted to make sure that our brand had strength where if we, let's say we did a Nike baseball is a thing that you know not only people are buying it because it's a yankees 
shirt. It's also a baseballism shirt or hoodie or hat or whatever it is. And so I think we've gotten to that point now. So now, now we're just, we're in discussions with major league baseball on like how to do it the right way. And so once that happens, I think uh, we'll be on a, a very good trajectory. Uh, I, I just got one more, Travis. Is, is there a design that, that is your favorite that, that, that you kind of hold it, hold dear? Uh, maybe I, I know the, the flag bat for sure is sort of yeah. the iconic one, but uh, is that the one, you know, do you have a favorite? Um, I think my favorite, like, so uh, one of the quotes we had early on, similar to the one I just stated earlier in the podcast, uh, we have a quote that says, live life like a 3-1 count. And we put that on a shirt and that flew. That was one of our more viral shirts in the very beginning that kind of put us on the map. And that's kind of just my, like, my life mantra. You know, it's just like live life like a 3-1 count. You know, live life aggressively. Look to hit, you know. Uh, don't try to walk, really. I mean, you want you want to hit the baseball. And so, I mean, that's I think that's one of my favorite ones because, you know, it, it kind of put us on the map, but it's also like a good way to attack things and a good life perspective. So I think that that's my favorite one. Well, it seems like you've definitely hit this idea out of the park and uh, we, yeah. we can't be happier for you. Congratulations. It's great to see a Hawaii guy doing the things that you're doing. Uh, if you want to just throw any information out there for those listening as far as where they can go to, uh, you know, seek out your stuff or, or any other uh, ideas you want to send out there, please feel free to do so. Yeah, I mean, so um, we're available online. All our stuff's available online at baseballism.com. Uh, you can follow us um, on Instagram or Twitter at, at baseballism. Um, if, if you got a TikTok, you know, if you're new school, <laughs> it's ba- baseballism Inc. on TikTok. We're still trying to try to figure that that world out. But yeah, if, if you're also if you're from Hawaii and you want to get twenty percent twenty percent off on our website um, at checkout, use code comma rate. So we have a comma rate. I think we might be the only national clothing brand that has a comma on it, right? Um, and I told Rob this when I was talking to him. I was like, I think I'm safe saying this, you know, in public because only people from Hawaii will know how to spell comma on it, right? No one else will. So I think we're, I think we're good on that. And so, yeah, yeah comma on it will get you 20% off on our website. Yeah, the only issue will be whether or not they put the Okina in, right? I mean, that'd be yeah, the only yeah. thing that maybe no, they can. No, no, Okina, no. no. <laughs> I don't think there's a, there's, it's tough to make Okina on the keyboard, so yeah. it would have been an apostrophe. That's right, that's right. You got to make it easy for the customers. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Travis, we appreciate it, man. Thanks so much, and again, yeah. congratulations, and we look forward to uh, where else this baseballism idea goes. Yep, go Bows. All right, big thanks once again to Travis. We appreciate his time. Time now for our best and worst. Brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii Maui's premier full-service refuse company offering various sizes of dumpsters and roll-off containers for commercial construction and residential use. Family-owned and operated with over 40 years of service to the Maui community, Waste Pro Hawaii is committed to customer service and responsible waste management. Visit WasteProHawaii.com for services and information. What is your best for this episode of the podcast, Jordan? Yeah, my best. I got to give a congratulations to the Seattle Storm winning their fourth WNBA title uh, on Tuesday night, closing it out. Uh, Sue Bird is like one of my favorite basketball players, uh, just period of all time. She had 16 assists in game one of that final series against Las Vegas. That's right, defeating Rob DeMello's Las Vegas Aces uh, in the finals of the WNBA. Brianna Stewart went for like 37 in game one, 26 in the closeout game three. Uh, I've been to a storm game at Key Arena, uh, and it was a blast. Uh, and they can they can hoop. Stewie and Sue Bird, who by the way turns like forty later this year or something like that. She she's still dropping dimes again. Sixteen in game one, which I think was like a finals record, and then ten in game two. She's she's amazing. 
Yeah, fourth title for the Seattle Storm. Uh, good to see Hoop still thriving in that city. My best is Randy Long of Montgomery, Alabama, who left a bucket of old baseballs that he discovered while cleaning out his garage at his house at a local batting cage. And then he left an accompanying note. His grandson ended up posting the picture of the note and the bucket on social media. And the note reads, this is free. I pitch them to my son and grandson for countless rounds. My son is now 46. My grandson is 23. I am 72. And what I wouldn't give to pitch a couple of buckets to them again. He went on to say that they have both moved away, told whoever came upon the bucket to cherish those moments with loved ones and, quote, give them a hug and tell them you love them every chance you get. That was one of those items we needed here under these times on social media. Kind of a feel-good story and uh, very cool on Randy Long's part. Yeah, I love the uh, the feel-good nature baseball theme of this episode. Yeah, we've been going baseball. Well, it's episode 42, so it's fitting, right? All Got right, what's your, uh, what's your worst here? My worst? Uh, maybe the best for some, although I would advise against this. Out of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, LSU will not require a medical wellness check in order to reduce lines and wait times at gate entry points at all Tigers home games from here on out throughout the season because 25% capacity, the lines are just too long for people to get in. They can't do temperature checks. That seems a little irresponsible. But, but if you were feeling bad about it, they're restarting alcohol sales because that's going to go well. We're not going to take your temperature because you might just be a little warm in the face anyway. You know, it's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to get an accurate reading. So uh, no temperature checks in uh, something that may lead people to not follow the rules. It's college football in the bayou. You got to get your priorities straight. And it sounds like LSU knows what this machine is all about. All right, my worst, staying on the football tip, Matt Patricia, the head coach of my Detroit Lions, taking a swipe at the previous regime seemingly by saying after the Lions' sixth straight loss while leading at one point by double digits, you heard me correctly, he said, quote, certainly I think when I came to Detroit, there was a lot of work to do. So basically he's saying, I inherited some junk. Patricia is 10-25-1, and one with the Lions, who are off to a 1-3 and three start this year. They have lost 12 of their last 13 games dating back to last year. Oh, and the regime that left him nothing, his predecessor, Jim Caldwell, well, he went 36-30, and 30, including 9-7 and seven in his last year. When Caldwell got fired, GM Bob Quinn said he was looking for a coach who could make the Lions a perennial Super Bowl contender. Well done there. And Matt Patricia, come on, man. Yeah, I mean, the ultimate come on, man. Jim Caldwell did a very admirable and serviceable job. Like even Jim Schwartz had much more success than Matt Patricia has had in Detroit. He was brought in to get them over the hump to big games. That doesn't mean sliding all the way back in the laughingstock status. I mean, come on, Matt Patricia. It's kind of funny. All these guys that coached under Belichick, and I, I do have some faith in Brian Flores, but like he was a D.C. Matt Patricia was a defensive coordinator. Romeo Cornell also called the defense for Bill Belichick. Guess what hasn't dropped off since any of those guys left? the Patriots defense. Maybe it's Bill. Just, just, a, just a note of caution for GMs out there looking to hire the next great defensive mind from New England. I mean, I'm a Lions fan, so hey, I want us to be a Super Bowl perennial contender as well, but uh, man, what I wouldn't give for nine and seven right about now. All right, that's our best and worst brought to you by Waze Pro Hawaii. Maui owned, Maui operated for Maui's people. Hit us up on Twitter at Kanoa Leahy, at Jordan Helly, or at Talk Sports 808. Thanks once again to Travis Chalk for joining us. Jordan, we'll do it again soon. Looking forward to it.